Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined by fellow Dudley boy Michael Hamflet to discuss everything that went down on last night's show. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. We preview and review Raw Smackdown, the show formerly known as NXT 2.0. Dynamite Collision, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have wrestler interviews on occasion, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week coming soon, I promise, I hope, um, complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. That's what it's called, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. You know when something just sounds wrong in your head? Well, or when you've been gone so long. Yeah. You know? And when you misspell a word, or you think you've misspelled a word, Hate that, Hate that you it. just get right and is right. Yeah. Oh, that word's wrong now. Yeah. It's 38 years, but apparently the word's wrong now. Yes. Yeah. Hate that feeling. Yeah. Hate missing wrestle culture. Love for that to come back soon. Maybe, yeah. maybe next Friday. Who can say? Who can say? Impossible. Hey, say. hey. No guarantees in this world. <laughs> That's something I learned a long time ago. <laughs> Anyway, Dynamite last night. Yep. You were doing cartwheels. Yep. Uh, plotting. Match quality that had a medium ceiling. Solid character development without anything like... I know where you're going with fizzling this. Fizzling excitement. 10 out of 10 show for Michael Hamlet. Go to pro wrestling. The best version of itself. Uh, how many years have we talked now about... And justified it as well. Uh, table setting, right? And like... What I want to see out of a table setting episode is not necessarily the snap crack on pap of everything just being knocked out of the park and angles all peaking at the same time. But we lost them from AW in 2023, along with a lot of other things we've lost. Mostly lost them. Mostly lost them. Along with a lot of other things that have been lost. A lot of other core tenets and foundational principles that feel like they've kind of been falling away this year. I felt made like a grand return. This dynamite... Um, was to me like a sort of piece by piece answering of the critics. And I know that I'm higher on it, I think, than consensus. But I just felt segment by segment like I was watching a fictional product that made sense to me again. Like a series of directions that I couldn't wait to see play out. And and I just, off the top, want to apologise for this entire podcast, Sage, because what we're probably going to do is go through and analyse this bit by bit. And that's our fault, really. Nobody should do that anymore. No. Yeah, aren't you like, what we told at the week, kind of told off, if anything, yeah. by people high up in the promotion and indeed some of the wrestlers within it. We need to shut up, idiots. 
and just just I use watch that it. exact expression in my ups and downs article. Just watch it and just enjoy it, right? And right. Uh, that's 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 on us. So sorry when I'm full of praise for this. I yeah. will do better next week and just mindlessly watch. On the subject of snark, I'm going <laughs> to get two criticisms out the way. I understand that a lot of our listeners have been a little bit uh, put off by a lot of negativity. Negativity that. I can justify, Hamlet can justify, even if you don't necessarily want to hear it. I can't really, I might get the odd little, eh, I was bored by this or uninspired by this as we go throughout. But I'm going to speak highly about virtually everything on this show. Mm. So I want to get two fairly big criticisms out of the way before I get a little bit pedantic, but not often, deeper into the pod. Big criticism number one is that this still feels like a uh, lukewarm at best product. There were less than 3,000 fans in the Indiana Farmers Coliseum last night, and with two exceptions, that building felt small and lukewarm, and it felt like, you know, the glory days are behind this promotion. And they might come back. Certainly the platform has been erected Mm. for a return to a halcyon period. But just the atmosphere wasn't amazing throughout this show. It really wasn't. That's fair. Not, there's been a few cases where they've not really upscaled the production of some of these lower-attended dynamites. And just this, the, the, this was one of them, isn't it? Just the like, feeling was a bit flat. The, yeah. it, the only really came up for two segments. Um, it wasn't like atrocious where you can hear the ambient noise on Raw a lot of the time. Not recently, but a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. But it still wasn't... I still wasn't, like, drawn to my screen and, like, just swept up in it. Remember the odd shows this year where you can hear, like, whirring mechanisms of, I don't know, like, arena fans or heating systems? Yeah. That's been a strange new phenomenon of the modern fan base, isn't it? Yeah. They're so quiet, I can hear this building more than I can hear them. It's (laughs) odd. It's odd. The other thing I want to point out is that, again, the tournament brackets I have problems with. I think I can be generous or forgiving or whatever... But in general, especially when this man books too many tournaments and battle royals, that's the new meme of our spreadsheet booking or backstage interruptions. Or there's always one thing about Dynamite that just seems to piss everybody off. Somebody kept the receipts, didn't they? Have the match graphics. Yeah. And there's loads loads of battle royals and loads and loads of tournaments. And this tournament, right? Here's the thing. 52 episodes a year, weekly episodic TV is an inherently flawed model because you have to build stuff and you can't give everything away. And the byproduct of that in every single promotion since the dawn of time has been plagued by this promotion. This is just a wrestling problem that the sheer volume of it will never, ever be able to correct. As long as it does weekly soap opera production and, you know, scheduling, you'll never, ever get over this problem, right? Trashy TV soaps don't get enough credit for circumventing that as often as they do. Yeah. Like the ones that go on forever and ever. But you have to be able to not do everything, even if the thing that you are not doing makes the most sense. As an example of this, right, Kanosuke Takeshita has just defeated Kenny Omega twice in seven days, okay? Theoretically, he should be very close to being the number one contender for the world title. That is how important a victory and two clean ones at that are against that guy. But I completely understand that that's not how this works, nor is this how it should work, right? Because you don't want Takeshita to lose either in the tournament final or to MGF because 
all of that work you've done, you've stigmatized him as a guy who can't win a main event. You want to preserve the idea and build him over the span of months that next year he can headline a pay-per-view. That strictly does not make sense. He should be basically the number one contender. But I think a lot of fans extend latitude towards that sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's worse when you lay out a bracket, oddly enough. If the tournament never existed, and I appreciate you've got to find number one contender somehow. Yes. But if the bracket never exists, nobody stops and looks. They yeah. just think, ah, Takeshi would probably fight for the title, but he's kind of busy with another angle, so we'll get to him. Yeah. When you don't see the, the eight names laid out, yeah. you're not then encouraged to look at, well, who's missing? Yeah. And why is he there and not Takeshita? Yeah. So, yeah, the whole idea of a visual bracket is not helping. Um, but I do understand why Takeshita's not in this tournament. Like, you just have to accept that. I will never accept the invisible camera as long as I live. But I will accept this because you can't just do everything at once. Mm. It never ends. So that's why Take's not in there. And that's why I understand that Take isn't in there. However, if you go through some of these participants, I'm just baffled. Like, Samoa Joe... Um, yeah, he lost to Punk, but he's won a lot on Collision recently. And, yep, yeah, fine. Roddy Strong um, has defeated Chris Jericho this year. He's defeated Daniel Garcia. He's probably won more often than he's, lo- than he's lost, so fair enough. Penta's just lost to Orange Cassidy for the international title. He's failing upwards. Darby Allen has just lost a match against Luchasaurus for the TNT title. He's failing upwards. Jeff Hardy just lost in a pitiful corporate synergy tie-in to, of all people, Jeff Jarrett, who basically exists to be a dick and lose, and it's cathartic when he loses. What's he doing? Jay Lethal, I can't remember the last significant match he he last won. Maybe against one of FTR to build a double or nothing? Tag team Again, match. Though, like their most recent thing was that loss they acclaimed in the trios match, wasn't it? So he's coming off a loss. Yeah, yeah he's coming off yeah. a loss. Um, I understand that you're not going to do an all-star tournament. But for me, it's very lopsided, this bracket. It's another... It's sad that we're like kind of like repeating this criticism. It's another obvious finalists tournament, isn't it? Yesterday, is a, yesterday without a bracket, we said, well, Joe and Strong is the final because look at what they're setting up. Yeah. And then they wrapped an eight-man tournament around the match that we knew was going to happen. Yeah. And that's like... And I guess the and idea I get it is... Because they're doing stories and subplots with, for example, Nick Wayne and Darby Allen. Yeah. So they are t- attempting to tell stories and subplots within the context of the tournament, but it's still... Was that necessary? I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer is here because they used to have it and they blew it away. The rankings was the answer. Like, you do television booking. Takeshita right now, as you point out would be high in the rankings, but there was absolutely nothing wrong with taking a diversion from that top five because you were busy involved in a storyline. Takeshita's got one coming up. Yeah. It's a really cool tease for next week. That could have been the reason why. Do you know what? Why was I concentrating on him when I should have been realising that I was number two in the rankings? And yeah. it, it was really... The head cannon was dead easy to arrive upon with the rankings because the, the one time... AEW started dropping the ball with that was when they were en route to basically abandon them, which was the FTR example yeah. of the main number one. It years. was just easier for them to say, oh, they don't exist. Yeah. In the years before that, it was okay for a wrestler to be number two and number three seed, but just inadvertently find themselves diverted by a feud. Ah, oh, bloody hell. I was right on my way to becoming the number one contender, and then this guy attacked me, so I've got it. Like, the, that was why rankings worked. The MGF CM Punk was the program was the best example of that because they never once lost sight of the fact that they wanted titles but they just were so they ran into each other they ran into each other 
they were so obsessed and like the, the, the grudge had developed to such an extent that they had to fight each other. But all the while, CM Punk was saying, oh, this is a distraction from my main goal. And that's the Punk's level of thought that he put into it. Um, it got to a point where I thought they were really going to do um, Punk versus Cole when a face is hangman at Revolution because they yeah. did such a good job of balancing the idea that Punk wants his title that I thought, are we getting the Revolution match? Anyway... It's time now to be almost universally positive yeah. about this show to a point because when I saw the match graphic for Moxley versus AR Fox, I broke my own rule at Michael Hamflip. I implemented a rule and I've broken it quicker than maybe Vince McMahon broke the wild card rule. <laughs> I implemented a rule yesterday, Hamflip, right? Where I said, I'm going to think about Shane Taylor versus Samoa Joe for a long time. And what I mean by that, if you missed the preview yesterday, is that everyone said, why does this match exist? Why is this match happening at All In? And then you realized, oh, they're camouflaging a quite brilliant angle. Let it play out. Mm -hmm. So when I saw Moxley versus AR Fox, I thought another 10-minute back and forth, star versus prospect slash mid-card act. Is that not a bit uninspiring at this point? And yet the plotting that was weaved around it was just majestic, pretty yeah, much. Gosh. I still don't think it was the best bit of matchmaking. I've praised Tony Khan to the hilt for his matchmaking ability, which is separate to his booking ability. Um, because the problem with this is that this is the third consecutive Mox TV match in which he has faced a high flyer who knows his way around a cutter with kind of unique attack patterns that overwhelm Moxley before he realizes, right, okay, if I just anticipate the move, take a step, I can get him in a bulldog choke or something. Mm -hmm. And it played out structurally very similarly, similarly, easy for me to say, to the Phoenix and Commander matches. Yeah. But there was one moment where I got so lost in it, and it's that unbelievable step-up moonsault and the way you just flattened Moxley where I thought I was just... Click temporarily lost and thought, I'm watching a match here. That could have a different outcome. It didn't. Moxley won. Thought some of the work here was really good um, to its credit. But what happens is that Orange Cassidy opens the show. Um, he says that I'm going to be here every single week. I should go lay down. I've been told to lay down. Not going to do it. So basically, this is a new arc. I'm just trying all the time now. This is me. Um, he says, I'm freshly, freshly squeezed Orange Cassidy, and I don't have a catchphrase. Oh, I just, love that. So like you've got a nickname, but you don't have a catchphrase. Yeah. Majestic. So he, and if Adam Wilborn here, he would probably say, grumpy Orange Cassidy, <laughs> because he saunters back up the ramp, but he's not ready to just not be there. Mm -hmm. I love that character detail of the guy who, you know, it's all a bit, couldn't be asked. he just happened to be great at this. Now that he's suffered the devastation of a loss, selling it in vintage AEW style yep. about how it matters to him that he's lost, just he doesn't want to leave the stage. Mm -hmm. That's where he wants to be now. He wants the lights, the bright lights, the pressure, everything else, and he just can't take himself, can't bring himself to remove himself from it. So I thought that was unbelievable. Then what happens is that Orange Cassidy accompanies AR Fox for the match with Moxley, and because they've been a team, and it doesn't feel so randomly thrown together anymore, it feels like a bond has been forged, Darby and Orange give themselves a nice look of recognition, and Darby just tacitly puts him over with a nice nod as if to say, you've done a great job as champion, happy to be your mate, and all the rest of it. At which point, 
Derby's like pep talk and AR Fox, I forgive you. Then he goes back and watches the match with Nick Wayne backstage. And then when AR Fox loses, Derby, and this is crucial to what happens in the main event, deft dovetailing booking here, goes out to check that AR Fox is okay. Abandons Nick Wayne, at which point Christian Cage sidles up to Nick Wayne and says, you know, is this the part where he says, I know I've actually watched tape of your dad, yeah. and he's terrible. He's even worse <laughs> than I thought he was going to be. Oh, by the way, tell your mother I said hi, or something yeah. along those lines. So we've established that Mox is a fighting champion. We've established that Orange Cassidy's new arc is that he's going to try all the time, and he really misses being put under that pressure. We've established that Christian Cage is going to have a match with Nick Wayne and preemptive oh my God. for that, because I think in-ring that dynamic could be incredible. And we've also established that Darby Allen may not necessarily be the best mentor for Nick Wayne, which is going to take their friendship exhibition match potentially into a new grudgy twist. I watched all of this unfold and I thought, you stupid dickhead, Sidgwick. That's why they have booked John Moxley versus AR Fox. This is wrestling. So much of wrestling isn't what happens between the bells. And it certainly wasn't here between John Moxley and AR Fox, but this is wrestling television. Wrestling matters even less on television. Um, it matters the most on pay-per-view, as evidenced by just how great All Out was. And, you know, we as cynical as we've been, the capital G, capital W, the great wrestlers having capital G, capital M, great matches. Pay-per-view exists for that. Television doesn't have to, not least because things like commercial breaks, break it up, smash it up. It has to be folded and shifted and fit in quite a rigid set of time scales, you know, we saw with Gunther and Gable, WWE uploaded the whole match because they wanted people to appreciate the commercial breaks because it was slicing and dicing it to bits. Um, and this was a reminder of, for me at least, what wrestling television can and should be. Like, I don't have... You've talked about the trifecta. I differ slightly because I don't need the match element of it. Like, to make a perfect dynamite, I don't. Um, I love it as, an, as a bonus almost because I'm almost impressed when a fabulous TV match sneaks in on a program that isn't necessarily designed to facilitate it, but it's this is what I want more. These overlapping characters, these overlapping stories, this idea, and Dynamite reached a point where it was nightmarish for this, where characters could only exist in their own story and in their own segment, no less. Remember that? Like, right, you've appeared here. You will definitely not see this wrestler again now over this two-hour telecast. Yeah. Like and they certainly won't Don't be involved. Take that name in vain. In another story, heard him. Um, heard him say telecast when I was watching an XWF match the other day. Oh remember my god! Yeah. Remember when like that they tried a weird sub TNA thing before TNA? Yeah. And Shivani was calling it with Lawler. Welcome to this XWF telecast. I was like, ooh. ooh. You uh, can only call it a telecast on Dynamite and Nitro. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that's where it fits. Yeah. This was it. It's the way Tony Shivani pronounces, well, enunciates the letter S on this telecast. <laughs> something about that golden luxurious broadcaster voice Tony Schiavone I'm in love with that man there was a point it must have been during this um, where I like I didn't pop or anything just a little little chuckle to myself a little wry grin to myself at home when Excalibur dared bless him I don't know if he was fed this info to call back to these two having beef over the um, the Three Kings Christmas Battle Royal. That thing. top flight one. Yeah. Like taking money out of the BCC's pocket. Like, yeah. Frig, frig off. Too much has gone on in this company. Like, 
Nice one, Excalibur. Thanks, X. But there's been too much over the years. Yeah. Way too much. This was the example of just the right amount because characters do need to move on. Like, every individual one, I don't want to go into, like, loads more detail on them, but Orange Cassidy now can't fake that he has a purpose. Love it. What a fabulous bit of character development for him. John Moxley feels on the road to a babyface turn because if Danielson's going to, like, move to collision full-time, can we just split up the piss day in BCC? Claudio, they're, 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 Claudio and you are an awesome... They're one of my least team. and most favourite stables ever. I'll yeah. never be able to work out what it is with the Blackpool Combat Club. They make me feel things that very few wrestlers do at the same time as making me feel nothing. It is so weird. I think it's two beloved baby faces having to work with two pretty awesome heels and you're constantly having to circle that square. And I don't, it just never quite feels right to me. And Moxley here, I think you can tell that the pivot back to him as a baby face feels like natural and on the way. And why not as well? Um, they are like the AR Fox thing should be dead in the water. Like a lot of wrestlers and stories couldn't come back from the state of that Vince Russo-esque turn the other week. But, Darby's the core, isn't he? He's the difference maker. People believe and buy Darby Allen so much that the spin-offs with AR Fox and Nick Wayne just felt so real and lived in. Yeah. Loved it. Loved all of this. Um, at the risk of sounding like a hypocrite, I have bemoaned. It's one of those things where it's still a very noble thing to do. It's still something you kind of have to do, but even good things can pass. And the... 12-minute back-and-forth dynamite match where the top star works a mid-card talent and gives them loads. It's like, it kind of, if you do everything to excess, it's not going to mean anything, even something good. Mm. And that, to me, was creeping in, but it's episodic wrestling TV. You have to do it. So in theory, I should have been delighted by an incredibly hard-hitting six-minute sprint (laughs) between Statlander and Sakura. However... I kind of was looking for a little bit more in this specific case, purely because Sakura is what this division needs. Yeah. Um, this women's division's broken. The way that they do it is fundamentally broken. Let's use Sky Blue as an example. Incredibly promising talent who has made huge gains, but within that system of wrestling, what what must be on average a TV match every two weeks to a month, and that's kind of it. Like, you're not going to get the reps in. You're not going to get progress. So when you've got someone like Sakura, whose work looks so convincing, like, terrifying as it did here, Mm -hmm. you kind of want to really build someone like that up or give them a lot so that they can continue to, like, sort of act as a warden, a gatekeeper. Mm. Um, So this is a, a really good, different dynamite match Maybe at the wrong time. I don't know if I'm being harsh. Um, but the general story is that Emi Sakura, maybe because she was miffed at being excluded from Wembley, has decided to, I'm going to try and kill Chris Statlander <laughs> as quickly and as violently as possible. She smashes into her. Statlander goes um, over the apron. Sakura just... Not even spears, but like cross bodies are through the ropes. Yeah. It's amazing. It's just a total splat. And she splats against her on the ring steps. Unnatural and wrestling needs more of that sometimes. Just total reckless abandon. Yeah. She looked like a woman possessed. Gets Statlander back into the ring. Does a high stack that is so great. Uh, yeah. The seal is so tight. She goes so high on the high stack that I thought, are they switching the title? <laughs> In this moment, I thought, Jesus Christ, she's won. She didn't. Great, 2.99 from Stat, after which Stat's like, right, okay, 
Well, I'm going to just have to do that back to her more violently and more quickly. Just does that kind of an Alabama slam-esque move, mm-hmm. splatters a face, mops it up with a Wednesday night fever, and that's your lot. Like, pretty exhilarating six minutes, this. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, it's one of them things, isn't it, where if the division... Like, remember that whole thing about, like, you used to say about, like, he's Tony Khan is trying to book the women's division like the men's one, and he needs to rethink it, because you... You, you need to be more all-star, yeah. really good hand action. This felt much closer to that. Yeah. Like, at the more, like, AW can, like, cannot facilitate women's fixtures, because they have nowhere near enough, like, presence yeah. on the show. Like, the members of the roster, Sky Blues, and exactly, there's a million of them, isn't there? And, like... Yeah, Anna Jay's never going to get... Better. And it's sad because yeah. she's got all the potential in the world. So it's really hard to run fixtures. So you need to start bringing pairings like this together on the reg. Like, I'm going to sound like a broken record here. Imagine if there'd been two of these on the show. Aye. And it's not even that hard. Uh, like, like, what was this? Like five minutes, six minutes? It's not hard to like, I don't believe it to be it's hard. All right, we've got another um, in the long, rich tradition <laughs> of four-way matches. We're getting another one next week. What a bonus. What I a know. tradition. And like... You know, you sense with Emi Sakura at least there's maybe something cooking in the way in the background with Soraya. Uh, you know, Tony Storm goes into next week's match as a heavy favourite. We'll talk about her later on. Like, it's always only ever going to be baby steps and you're going to kind of hold back your glowing praise for anything they do because it always feels like they're just a week away from, like, abandoning ideas again. I was really encouraged by this. I just thought the agent in was really whip smart in like how you utilize the best of both of these into like making the most of the time, the time slot as well. Second didn't feel like that. I oh, were putting them in the quiet bit. This felt like profiling. I can't explain why it feels different sometimes, but this would have been substantially worse in that dreaded last quarter hour. And I think that mattered here. Like placement and positioning was key as well. As much as I've whinged about. I wish it gone an extra four, purely because I just think Sakura's great, mm. and I'd like to see more of her on a selfish level. I think that I've missed the point. You can't get your stopwatch out for a match like this. It was just great for the time it yeah. was allocated and resourceful as well. Um, so it was kind of memorable. Like, there's one of these matches every week in the women's division, and the task is to try and actually make you remember, yeah. and that's hard enough when there's no stories. So like, I think, like, they had enough in here that you might recall stuff of it yeah. in a week's time. Aye. In the first of several very well executed, very promising backstage segments in which there was characters developed and narratives followed up, Roderick Strong's backstage with Taven Bennett getting interviewed by uh, Renee Paquette. Yeah. And he reveals, and I love this, that, well, not for him, no, but for the story, is that he was all but abandoned by his parents as a kid. And he basically wrestled very early, and wonderfully they showed like stills mm-hmm. of someone who shouldn't be wrestling at that age wrestling, and it's Roddy, um, because he needed that escape, and he needed to escape earlier than most. And it just fits so brilliantly into what before last night was a pretty one-dimensional but very amusing character of the bitter ex. Yeah. And he's using some of the language of the spurned lover, like, I'm emotional, or Adam knows what he did. Man, he talked to Adam about it. It's a great bit. Mm. It's very amusing. And then this twist is like, oh, Christ, there's a bit of weight here. It's not as one-dimensional as I thought. There's a bit of emotion here. And it won't come at the expense of the comedy, which everyone loves. Well, a lot of people love because AEW can just balance these modes so effectively. I thought this was tremendous. Loved it. Um, I've 
put this on Twitter already, but you get a segment that hits home about Roderick Strong's very difficult upbringing. And there's something I want to come back to about this in a minute as well. Uh, and Roderick Strong delivers it in the, this version of the character he's playing. The kingdom, which we don't know the motivations of, are there looking very earnest and very sincere alongside Strong, even if, for all we know, they could be using him to try and get ahead themselves or just get in the conversation, you know. They certainly sidled up to him, yeah. spotted an opportunity, but they're there, like, very, very stern, solemn glances as Roderick Strong tells this story. They're playing their roles to perfection in the background. Nailing it. And then we cut back into the arena and Tony Schiavone, like, consistently in all of AEW's history, the warmth, the trusted voice at ringside, the one man that when MJF put his hands on him, like, the whole crowd gasped because you absolutely cannot do that. This godlike figure, Cosmo Manipulator, yeah, turns on him, like all of us have done, like Adam has done, because the devil continues to play his tricks, I guess. Maybe. We don't know. Love that. Love that detail that we are all continuing to be brought along into thinking... Shut up with your moaning, eh? When you've heard this story. Yeah. And there is more to this because... Is this what you're circling back to? Yeah. Yeah. 12 of us in 2017 were watching NXT's weekly TV. Yes. And they did this. And this is true. We, I've seen some of these still images before. Like, they did Roddy Strong's history stuff. Some of it was derided because some of it was a bit lame. But this was a, one of the weeks. I remember this vividly. And he... Uh, I need to go back and watch it, but I'm pretty sure he's like parked outside the house or he's like in another trailer park and he's like I used to like sit at the window with a BB gun hoping that like mom or dad had come home because I was, I was scared yeah it's heartbreaking that is like such a tough go of things in life and as you say like and if you know you know and AW never patronizes its hardcore base and like AW's ability to bend that and make it part of this alright let's stop you in is kind of inspired. This, that Shivani thing that you've brilliantly pointed out, the comedy with this, the gut punch twist of, oh, Roddy's not just being a bit... Uh, Something rooted at the core of this, yeah. yeah. it's trauma. Yeah. And the Joe stuff and the shove and the neck stuff, it's, this is, and I hate saying this in the past tense, vintage AEW. Yeah. Deft, dovetailing, God damn it, a bit of alliteration, Depth. I'll give you one more. Details yeah. out the ass. Details like, out the ass. There's so much thought put into it. And it's something I desperately need out of this company, particularly as it teeters uneasily on the precipice of a content form era. Mm. I don't mind more content if it's as detailed as this. Yeah. Jesus, bloody Christ. Um, speaking of Jesus, bloody Christ, my favorite tag team. Oh, my God. The Sex Gods. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Have a match with Aussie Open, which I think is capital G great. I don't think you're going to be quite as high. I think I'm higher than consensus. I don't care. I thought this match was tremendous for more than one reason. Chris Jericho can lay the goddamn hell out of a tag team match, and it's something with an agenda, with a megaphone. I have been screaming from a skyscraper for years at this point. Give the man his flowers. He's one of the most underrated tag guys ever. He just happens to realize that the money's in singles and being a star's in the singles. Yeah. Like the thrill seekers, if you ever go back and watch, and I'm loath to praise him, and I'm doing this exclusively for his uh, matchmaking stuff, like those SMW tags, those SMW tag finishes mm-hmm. with the refs, they were like pretty exhilarating. So that Jericho's had the thrill seekers. He's had one of the most short-lived, cult-raved, 
tag teams ever with Eddie Guerrero and WCW. Jericho mm-hmm. show yep. was better than it had any right to be. People can argue, and a lot of people do, I think the consensus do, that Chris Jericho has worked the best tag uh, match in the history of WWE Raw, which a lot of people would put as the best period match yeah, in there. the history of WWE Raw. And the sex gods, every time I watch them... C kind of carried a very boring d- Raw undercard, him and Christian. Yes. As tag champions. Yes. Yeah. And the sex gods, I just think, are great. Their matches are so lively, so lean... And yet, there's still loads of depth to them, and there's low like it's just it's really dynamic, exciting. All the story beats are needed. Like some of the finishes with a bat, mm. like years ago, were just unbelievably great. And I thought this match was class. So the the general story is that this is Aussie Open's best AEW performance by far. I thought yes, they looked like. Monsters. I think Mark Davis was very much motivated because Fletcher, he's been injured and Fletcher's been getting some single shine. You'd be uh, tired of feeling like a prop, wouldn't you? Yeah. In everybody else's business. And Davis was like, right, no, no, no I'm going to be a monster. And he killed Jericho at various times in this match. He looked like an absolute beast. Um, but the general gist is that the sex gods, and this is a great, you do this in every tag match, but when they're on offense, it's like they're kicking ass and having fun mm. and being animated and being dicks but endearing. And it's like, oh, I don't want you to split up. But that's the point, because they're going to, and they want to add more emotion to that. Um, and then they start to miscommunicate. And Jericho hits a somersault planchet to the outside onto Guevara by accident. Guevara has this reaction, even though it's a clear mistake. That happens in virtually every tag team match. But as a point I made on Twitter, when you are having like a tiff with someone, an argument with someone, they could do something that's completely harmless, but because you're, like, it, you take it as a slight. Yeah. Like, a little, a tiny insult or, you know, if you're having an argument with the friggin' missus, <laughs> okay, and they do something that's completely innocuous, you're more prepared to take that as a slight, a personal slight against yeah. you. And I think that's why Guevara acted like he did. He knows deep down, oh, that was an accident. But because you're in that mindset of a tiff, mm. you're prepared to think, oh, he did it on purpose, did you? Yeah, you did that on purpose to slight me. The Bucks and the Usos super kick each other all the time, but yeah. when, they're, when they're not arguing, it's fine. It's just yeah. in the heat of the moment. It's just the heat of the moment. Yeah. And there's this bit where... So basically what happens is... Um, after They do this mint spot where Aussie Open carry each member of the Sex Gods, each of them sprint around the ring and crack Guevara and Jericho back first against yeah. each other. Kind of like in the atomic drop position, but they go like that. Almost like an author's of pain meet in the middle type deal. Yeah. Just crash them into each other. They then start to kill Chris Jericho. But then, and honestly, one of the best saves I've seen in a tag match in maybe years, Davis, or I can't remember which one it was. They're both monstrous compared to Kavara. <laughs> it's about a charge with like a big boot or a forearm into Jericho in the corner. And one absolutely oh swift movement. Guevara slides into the ring in Spanish flies. This guy twice the size yeah. is like the save. It's this is Jericho's tag team mind. He makes these matches so lively without feeling like these incredibly showy spot fests. Mm-hmm. Like it's always like the fundamental tenant of a tag team match. Oh, here's the save, and yet he, to do this spot, I just I was I love this match so much. Then. Guevara sells again, and Kyle Fletcher decides to 
kill and murder Chris Jericho. Like, loads of moves. The one that I can remember fully is that brain buster. Oh, my God. And I think, oh, Jericho's done. And he kicks out, and he kicks out, and he kicks out. And you think this match has got, just because Jericho's a master, he inserts, what, three really believable near falls in this match. And then, and this is the story, to Sammy Guevara's chagrin, Jericho perseveres, he kicks out, and then he wins with the Judas effect. And the story now is that Chris Jericho is the star of that team, and he, in fact, has shown that maybe you didn't hit him with a bat. Maybe the problem isn't Chris Jericho. Look what I've just done, and Guevara is pissed, and they don't really get on in the post-match. Lively is the word for me. I, it's so exciting and never sacrifices like the story that they're telling. I love this by the end. You're right. I didn't like it quite as much as you, but certainly I think like it's kind of, it was a match split in two, wasn't it? Like literally so by the, um, like the break, but everything that picked up on the way at the finish, I was really, really drawn in massively. So this crowd were going bonkers as well. Yeah. This is, one of two things I mentioned earlier, one of two things where I thought they made this building feel like twice the size. They were worked into it as well. I wouldn't say they were mega hot at the start. They were no. absolutely brought into this. And you, like it was great. Like I don't want to call it basic because that undermines it, but I don't mean it to. We talk about basics when we talk about basics, basics, and grow fauna males. Like you need them. And this was a, like an audience being worked into it by like, you know, you want to credit all four, but as you say, like an old pro, like match construction, the things that have always worked. But love like that, really cool futuristic spins on them. Yeah, love that they won. Love that they I won. I need this to continue. This, the FTR match is going to rule. Yeah. Like the, that is a, like, you watch the sex gods. Give that 30 minutes on collision. Yeah. You, you look you at, got, you have to have apparently a 30 <laughs> minute collision I don't think you will anymore. I think like, based on the graphic alone, the fact that the tournament is moving into co- rampage and collision, I think that's it. I think like you can thread these three shows together now. That's a shame. Forever. I, I agree. I think it was worth is having... It? I think it was worth having a different tone to the Saturdays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Because it risks becoming Rampage. Might not do, but I think it risks becoming Rampage. But we'll see. Like, let that one play out, I think. But um, I, like, I, I already can't wait for the FTR match. And again, like, I'm maybe applying invisible rankings back to AEW here because I was so impressed with the plotting on this episode that there are... Clearly, Darby and Sting are still number one. Well, yeah. There are clearly two more the Sex Gods matches ahead of an inevitable FTR showdown that they will probably win where they will feel like they'll fall further and further apart as a tag team, but somehow work their way to a title shot. And it's there where you can do the blow up if you want to, or however, yeah. you know, um, it's almost quite nice that MJF and Adam Cole lost to FTR recently and it didn't break them up because now you see in the other side of that. Yeah. Cause this will ultimately be the end of them. That's great stuff. Two more things. Cause I want to put this over to the hilt. One is that Jericho is going to be a dick to Guevara because he was the star of the show and he won in the match. Two, right, Sammy Guevara has not been cheered as much as AEW has clearly intended him to be cheered post double or nothing. Mm -hmm. That has become an issue. And as I've mentioned before, that's my one concern about the storyline is that there's no... Usually when you do a tag team breakup or two stablemates breaking up or whatever... There's always one person where you think, oh, I can't wait to cheer that person. That's why they're doing this. Mm. That's the one flaw here. I don't think there's any particular clamor for either of these to be the face in the feud and getting the push after um, they win it. But, and this might be temporary, Guevara might get in his own way again. There was an exchange that got a Sammy chant 
can't rem- remember the last time I heard one of those. Mm. So he's just getting in, beasted by um, it's Fletcher. He's getting beasted in the chop battle. You cannot, you can't even hear Gavoris chops, and he's getting beasted when he's doing it. Then he lunges into these forearms, chops, forearms, chops, and shows like a proper bit of babyface fire and gets a Sammy Chan. I think he's going to be the heel. I think when this all shakes down, I think he ends up being. I think the he beats the heel. Um, he is will be the heel, but and maybe he's got the babyface reaction here. Drop threads getting picked back up. Like if he ends up being the heel and Chris Jericho ends up being the babyface, does that open the door for Garcia to be the one to be the heel to be the babyface in the end? He makes a save for Chris Jericho, but it's a nice thing. Doesn't have to reunite the JAS, but just does. Yeah. Like picks up something that was dropped with him and Sammy, and that folds Garcia back in because it's kind of criminal that he's been extricated again. Yeah. You know. So, but I've, I've got really high hopes for this. Again, like as good a table setting match that you can possibly have, yeah. I would say, for, yeah. for this. In yet another great backstage segment, none of which are interrupted. I made this point on Twitter. I think it bears repeating here, because not everyone who listens is on Twitter. X. X. Is that I pissed and moaned quite often about, for the past 18 months probably, ah, another gauntlet, is it? Oh, there's an inter- backstage interview. Let's interrupt it in the most cheap way of building a match possible. I literally can't remember the last time they interrupted a backstage interview. It reached breaking point, didn't it? It was ridiculous. Remember that period where the people who did the interrupting were themselves interrupted? Yeah. And then somebody within the interruption would mock that, oh, I guess I'm going to get interrupted again. You get one of those two things where it's like, that's two bad versions of something that already stinks. Yeah. I I might be exaggerating, but they rarely do it these days. And I think it's the absolute betterment of these TV shows. Um, This is a pre-tape so it's not going to get interrupted it's ricky starks cutting the promo after the strap match and i love that they do this because you can see like the effects of war on his body um he's basically in full defiant mode i did not tap out there's not a person in this business in fact who can tap me out or even match me um when is it going to be my time and in an echo i don't know if this is on purpose right but you know what's used the weight belt Mm -hmm. at all out and he's cody's guy yeah he said in this pre-tape, um, don't hand me a piece of bread and expect me to be full. I want the full course meal. This is an echo. Maybe I'm rich and bro, but that's what AEW at its best makes me want to do. Stardust, I want that steak. Yep. I want that steak. I think they. I think he's genuinely in that Cody Rhodes 2016 mode of, I'm undeniable. You don't know it yet, maybe. I do. Give me everything. I deserve it and need it. I... Delivery here was absolutely unbelievable. Spectacular. Starks is back. Feels good. Um, I agree. I think he is in that. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. 
They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, mode, I think you might. I think the problem for AW might be that you might be in a Cody Rhodes 2024 mode very literally and that you could join him. I don't know what the contract situation is, but... Regardless of what that is, it's just empty speculation on my part. He did not tap. Let's see if he taps in the salt of the earth and you do winter is coming rematch. Yeah. Starks, MJF. Go now. Go right now to it. I don't know how long Ricky Starks got left and I would understand his lack of patience. Maybe with the stop and start, it must be frustrating. And this like kind of high that you must get off a match must be a mixed, mixed emotion. Yeah. Because it's... Yet again, about what he lost as much as what he won. Yeah. His Brian match was fantastic, but it was... Was out of this friggin' world. But a bigger picture was destroyed in its wake. Yeah. And I don't know. Like To me, you've got him positioned now. Remember a year ago when we said, oh, one more year, you know, and he could be the guy to beat MJF. It's staggering how far he has fallen, but it's funny how wrestling works that he's just come right back to that position. Yeah. As a heel, no less, yeah. where you could position him against MJF with the alignments flipped and do that at Winter is Coming. Absolutely. Like, he's there. He is there. Um, in yet another really productive slash encouraging backstage segment. I don't think you're thinking of the same one. I wouldn't say it ruled, but it's probably necessary. It's Don Callis and Kanosuke Takeshita. I love it. I can't, oh, wait. Okay, cool. I can't wait to play a game next week on who, who yeah, who's in the painting. Well, this that's, is, that's, that's our Gabo thing, isn't it? Yeah. Who is it? Well, next week we'll be doing something like this. All going well. Imagine her on the painting. So I would maybe classify this as bare minimum. You know, I'm a very exacting critic. Um, but we go backstage. Renee Paquette again is with Callis and Takeshita. There is an oil painting. Even though it wasn't particularly well deployed with the Chris Jericho angle, I do love it as a bit. Yeah, it's very good. What strange effort to go to. Not just to get and a commission uh, made for his target, but also to bring it to a TV taping. Oh, look at it. No, no, that's that's the next pa- week job. Pack it away. Yeah. Playing the next week. Nobody look. Nobody look. So, there were the oil painting that is under cloak. And Renee tries to sneak a peek. And Carl's like, no, 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 that's for next week. And say, look, there's a new big dog of pro <laughs> wrestling. Very nice. He's beat Kenny Omega and twice, and there is a, they will reveal next week who the next target is going to be, and I expect that target to be oil-painted. Um, two reasons, very basic reasons why this was good. One, and I think, again, this is bare minimum stuff. One, a lot of people thought, right, well, to catch to just be Kenny Omega twice in seven days, you know what that means, he won't be on the show. <laughs> yeah. So the mere fact that he was on the show yeah. is good. That is bare minimum stuff. I'm sorry, it is. Two, though, this is a mini cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. This is them telling you, one, he's going to be back next week. We've not forgotten about him. Two, he's not just going to do something next week. He's going to do something pretty cool. 
Um, he's going to target someone. You're going to get a real direction for this character, and we are going to tell you this direction in a really fun, characterful, callous way. Yeah. I th- I've been doing some alliteration on this podcast. I feel dirty. I love this, man. Like, made cliffhangers and bare minimums. I'm a WWE fan. This is right on my street. I know. Like, I loved it. I loved Absolutely. it. I like, oh, what's, what's under the sheet? What's I'm going to rip it off in a minute. Oh, sheet. Uh, like props, don't forget props. 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 Prop stuff. Prop stuff. Yeah. Bare minimum. Plotting. Bang into it with me. I uh, love a bit of this. The target thing is either someone's head on a spike. Takeshita's going to beat this guy. That's cool. Yeah. Is it a partner? Is it a new member of the... We are targeting X to join the... Not Twitter. We're targeting somebody to join the Don Callis family. Like, and it's a picture of Takeshita, Callis, and somebody else on a horse together. Yes. Like the three of them. Like... We want you, but not to fight. We want to change your life and bring you whatever. Like, cannot wait. I like love this. And as like you say, a bare minimum, and it is. But I had we had like what three, four on this show with Starks and Orange Cassidy. I feel like I'm forgetting one, but like with all of these characters getting reused, strong, strong, yeah. Like, I think the execu- focus, focus, focus. It's great. I the love it. Execution of the bare minimum stuff was excellent. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. All like it wasn't just. Yeah, they were great on the pay-per-view, and we'll see what they're up to next week. It was, well, great like, on the pay-per-view. We'll see what they're up to next week. You're going to want to see what they're up to next week. Yeah. That's that's the difference. There was, the, you know, this idea that the, um, this what, the six-week disappearance arc was, like, killing everybody. Yeah. Everybody was reduced by it because you what? The, when I said it on the preview yesterday, the Hangman Page Battle Royal thing had to be something because... John Moxley, Orange Cassidy, Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, da, 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 would have never in a million years accepted going into a battle royal. Yeah. Like, kayfabe or reality would have, no, I'm yeah. absolutely not doing that. That's damaging to my career. Had to be something. And I think all of these little interactions that you got with these characters were an example of that. There was something more than they were just a reference. Yeah. Loved it. Loved it. I also loved the next segment, even though it went very long. It's MJF and Samoa Joe having a face-to-face promo. It goes very, very long. Um, but... It was still really entertaining, really productive. The crowd loved the whole thing. Mm-hmm. When I say it goes long, I don't care that it goes 20 minutes because a good 20 minutes is you know better than a good 15 minutes, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I did think it went long because there was a lot for Joe to remember and bounce off. And I think some of his killer lines got a little bit lost because I don't know if he stumbled or what, but he got it really together by the end. Um, but I think it went about five minutes too long for the best of Joe, if that makes sense. MGF could do this for the entire duration of Dynamite. Yeah. But, you know, not everyone's MGF. Uh, so basically, MGF comes out. One of these out. days, they should maybe think about that. They should. The old Shane Douglas got half an hour ECW. And yeah. Shane Douglas is no MGF. No, no, he absolutely <laughs> isn't. He absolutely isn't. So MGF comes out, um, says that when I trained for my indie career, and when I got my start, I lived in Indiana for a year. Um, he, you know, for lack of a better term, he sucks up to them, but they love it. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? He doesn't love the who's your dome in Indianapolis. Yeah. You? Like, that's what I know about this, this state. Yeah. WrestleMania 8, that's what I know. Yeah, that's who's all your, I know. Who's your stuff? Who's your? Um, basically says he's all chubbed up. <laughs> he is all chubbed up. Um, right when he's about to address maybe Joe, mm. but it could have been strong. could have been cold. The mystery is still tantalizing. Um, out walks Joe with the ROH title belt as much as it's kind of a prop for me at least because I don't really watch Ring of Honor as much as I should I love how it mirrors the NXT title 
doesn't mirror it, but I love how it's just over his shoulder. Yeah. It's a constant reminder to MJF of who this person is and who he despises and who he's never got over. It's the same guy. It's the same guy. Yeah. It's the same guy. Um, and he does some fat jokes at the expense of Samoa Joe, calls him Samoa Doe. Um, Pillsbury so, Joe boy. <laughs> Pillsbury Joe boy. It's funny, but it's cheap. There's one actually genuinely hilarious line where the best jokes conjure in your mind this imagery that you just find hilarious. Mm. MGF says to Joe, did he get lost or confused and think that my entrance music was an ice cream truck? (laughs) And the wonder of this gag is then you think, what would that look like? And you imagine Samoa Joe with that intimidating, menacing face of his Asking his mom for a quid <laughs> so that he can get an ice cream. <laughs> Burberry wagon driving down the cul-de-sac. Give me some money. And uh, bring me my pound yeah, bring or bring me my ice cream. Yes. So it escalates when Samoa Joe says, What is your problem, kid? Then MGF says things along the lines of, you know, um, you did this to me in NXT. The last time someone from NXT did that to me, I batted him out of the company, and he'll be no different. Then Joe plays along, toying with his prey, and then two more times he says, what is your problem, kid? And I kind of get the growl over. Yeah. But he starts really well the rhythm is great mm-hmm. of his promo. It's really well paced. Because the third time he does it, he's like, I'm going to kill you. That's the subtext. Um, they, he basically says that soldier's got a tiny cack <laughs> as well. We kind of forget that. But the whole gist is the reason why they're talking and not fighting is that MGF has realized, I don't actually like wrestling every single week, so mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that. And Joe, he says, well, if I attack you, you've got a reason to jump in front of the queue. I'm not going to do that. And Joe's is very much, well, I'm not going to do it either, except I am. I'm just lulling you into it sort of thing. Then he eventually starts to beat up MGF. And in a brilliant bit, the reason why this uh, Our Scumbag works is that the things that MGF is great at, he now gets pops for. Like, who can Samoa Joe in the bollocks? Mm. And it's in character as well. And yeah. Samoa Joe's massive, so he kind of has to do things like that. And then Joe gets the better of him. And Adam Cole comes out, and that's his segment for now until we get to the strong bit. But what were your thoughts on the face to face? Really funny. Um, remember that moment, and this was such a great like the Cole MJF story has been so fantastic that, like the Punk one, you are forgetting some of the little minor moments because the major ones were so huge and yeah. so memorable. And you rewatch them again. Remember in the Cole MJF bit where, like, for a second, MJF misread what Cole was saying. He's like, oh, we're doing that, are we? And then just cut this killer promo on him for like 20 seconds. You're so white and pale yeah. that Hogan, Hogan would have snorted you in the 80s. Yeah. And he's like, and Cole can't cut him off before he's already delivered like a 30-second tight five. Oh, so you want a promo battle, dude? I love getting to watch MJF like stretch that back out over what he would have done as a heel every single time. As you say, this is a traditional MJF heel formula flipped. So now you get to watch this long in-ring battle, but he's doing it for you. He's our scumbag. Um, for it to end on the physical is so crucial to the big... The big story now is MJF and Adam Cole. So everything that the two of them are doing outside of wrestling each other should feed into that. If Cole and Strong are going to have a match, 
that should feed into the bigger picture. Yeah. Joe and MJF is going to be a cool title match. It's going to be pretty exhilarating based on these early exchanges. But we know it's contributing to the MJF call thing. That's how, like, the great stories work. I'm trying to think, like, peak of the business examples would probably be every opponent Steve Austin fought in 1998 was more about him versus Vince. Until, yes. you, until you got to him versus Vince. It was like, dude, love's awesome, but it's for this. The Undertaker and Kane are there together. Well, really, it's for Vince. You know, like, the, it was all for that. Yeah. And this is, for the, this is to serve Cole and MJF. And how they are doing it so far is maybe my favorite bit of all of this. Because the physical is in the story for Samoa Joe to be, I've got you, mate. You're a bitch. You're a kid. I'm going to take this title off you. You are not on my level. The bigger story is MJF now, our scumbag, our guy, Oh my god! I think my next worse than ever. Yeah, while Adam. Cole, oh yeah, I should mention that he's selling the hell out of this. While neck. Adam Cole is right there as his friend, the guy who caused it actually. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And again, like neck health stuff because neck the, health. There's Adam Cole. Like, oh god, my neck is worse than ever. My neck is worse than ever. Do you know who else's neck is worse than ever? The guy that told you about his traumatic childhood half an hour ago. Yeah, that told to boo and hate. Yes, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant stuff. And. It's one thing when you get the big picture right. It's quite another when the story and service of that is as entertaining as Smojo and MJF was here. I love the bones of this, man. Yeah. Like, this so gives me the feelings. Like this It is, is so AW. clever. One more thing I want to mention as well is that MJF subverts the catchphrase and says, I'm going to kill you. And how does he do this? How do you do it? Because I believed him, even though he's very much smaller than Joe. And yeah. he's just kicking him in the balls like a minute later. But you still believed him in that moment. Like the balance of this act, he can literally do it all. Next week on Dynamite, because this tournament, I will give it this, it's slick. They're not farting around. Semis here. Semis on Rampage. Uh, sorry, quarters here. Quarters on Rampage. Semis on Collision. Final next week on Dynamite. Smojo versus Roderick Strong next week. Yeah, it's going to be the, great. The next stuff match that's going to be really hard to call because they're showing you two clear title defences for yeah. MJF. Brilliant. That's, that's, brilliant. That's next week. That's proper next level drama as yeah. well. Maybe the tournament is goaded, actually. <laughs> um, another thing, some more, uh, I, wrestlers use the word bitch more than they use the word the. <laughs> and so it should just not register with me whatsoever, but Joe doing it really makes you think that he's going to make people as bitch because he's just so terrifying and intimidating. So when MGF is getting carted up the ramp with Adam Cole, Roderick Strong makes his entrance for his match, The Flow. This is the stuff, man. The flow is very much worthy of the oh my God. button. Um, so Roderick Strong is apoplectic. I've just laid my soul bare, and you care more about him after that. <laughs> like the flow, the plotting was majestic on Dynamite last night. This match wasn't majestic, if I'm being honest. You know what? I'm going to be very nice here. I'm Maybe I should be one of these people, the safety police or whatever. I'm not one of these people who will just excuse bad creative. Not that this is bad creative or like, you know, mid wrestling match that is underwhelmed. I'm not one of these people who you get online. I basically, I don't trust anyone who doesn't have a love hate relationship with wrestling. Hmm. The people who just love it, love it, love it, love it, love it, and kind of bear that you criticize <laughs> it. They're sacrificing their bodies for our entertainment. It's like, I don't make them bump. Yeah. <laughs> they like this, they like to bump. It's crazy. You can't comprehend it. But they can, and they willingly do it. Chosen profession. Chosen profession. Wage at the end dream, of the week. You know. Wage bigger than mine. I watched this and thought, oh, this is a bit mid and plodding. And then I remember the brutal, brutal annihilation that Trent took it all in. Mm. Like, 
could take a month off after that. He got his ass kicked. So when I saw this match, and it was very much wrestled in one gear, and the crowd really weren't into it, and there was some cool stuff down the stretch, but it just didn't. When you see a match graphic like that, where it's the guy who breaks backs and is like this cardio killing machine versus a guy who will just take some of the daftest bombs you'll see. Mm. You're expecting this violence festival, this really kinetic, hard-hitting, fast, brutal match. It wasn't. It was kind of just there. Um, there was some good stuff in it. Um, strong. Uh, Trent tries to give Strong a hook and Rana. Then he transitions to the strong end, but um, Trent escapes out of it and does this brutal half and half, which informs the neck health stuff. But that's about it. And then they, after Strong takes that move, where you think, oh, Christ, maybe his neck is buggered. I thought they rushed to the finish in the end of Heartache, like within about 20 seconds, it felt like. So it wasn't, it was a rushed ending to a match that just existed. But I do love, right, I've got the finish. I've done it. Ah, oh, I need that. I need that. Yeah. And Taz is so good at the selective heel stuff, right? Where a lot of commentators can't. Where a lot of commentators need to pick a lane. I find Taz is very good at just turning off and on like a faucet. Mm. So like, no, you need to keep that neck warm. You're risking further injury. <laughs> and obviously he's an expert in the subject yeah. as well. But you will justify heel every now and then, Taz. And I just find it delightful. Yeah, and it's a worthwhile voice at ringside. Because as we said with this, there's like a real complexity to this Roderick Strong character. And how you're supposed to receive him. Yeah. So having balance at the desk, I think, is like only aids that, yeah. that presentation. I agree with you on the match, though. Joe was just there. I, but I don't blame them. I, I think it failed, and I can't. The only thing I can work out as to why is because the booking was too predictable, and this is where you can have a, maybe a bit of a pop at the tournament. Like Strong was obviously winning. The thing is, Trent got a big old win alongside the best friends at All In. I do not resent his inclusion in this match at all. No, and this is me speaking. Nor do I. But is that win enough to make him credible? No. Because uh, no. that I think you know it's that you, enough to not bury the booking. Yeah, but it's not enough to really. The think fans he's in the building win. aren't going to go. Oh, we might yeah, stand yeah, a chance, yeah, and that's yeah. the difference, isn't it's it? Just flat and too long. Flat, long. Like they, you're right. They raced to that finish after like what felt like a kind of really lethargic. Like, how did this have an opening ten minutes and a closing thirty seconds? Yeah, like uh, it was a, a weird agent in choice, a weird use of the TV. Again, time. Uh, he got his ass annihilated it all in. So if he's still suffering lingering effects from that match, I wouldn't blame him Trent, at all. they probably should have gone down the Orange Cassidy route with Trent a bit more here. A broken down guy is walking in against a guy that's kind of faking how broken down he is. Yeah. And then Strong wraps it up in five minutes or something like that. So I just think they got it slightly wrong, but the outcome, the ends would probably justify the means because Strong yeah. needed this win. and Like the, the, putting the reapplying the neck brace immediately was great. Yeah. Putting him on their shoulders. Yeah. Like he's just won the World Cup and not a fairly... Routine. It's a great act, this. Home win or whatever. There are a couple of arseholes, and they're kind of the only ones that are 100% with him at the moment. Yeah. That's good stuff. It's good stuff. It's just really funny. It's really funny. We get more glorious backstage character development, this time Renee Paquette, who is the glue for these shows in 2023. Mm -hmm. The the most I purr at the way things are sold, the way things are built, very quietly in the background, Renee Paquette has got so much to do with. She's very much... She's a sung hero. She's, she gets chance in the terraces, but at the same time, I think she's even better than a lot of people think. There's not many good actors in wrestling, and she's, she's one of a few. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So she interviews Tony Storm, and um, Renee's like, Tony, kind of screwed Ruby at the TBS title. What's that about? 
and Tony Storm's like oblivious. So you know, darling, I've just got so many uh, you know performances that <laughs> you know I can't really remember. And we don't look forward, uh, we don't look back, we look forward. It's just doing this incredible Hollywood starlet going into psychosis bit. It remains to be tremendous. She's like, you know, it's all in the past. It's all in the past. We look forward with our chins up, tits out, and watch out for the shoe and throws it again at Renee Packer. And it's just the best. It's a good catchphrase. It's a good character. And they've made sense of the outcast breakup in really impressive fashion. She's key to the success of this uh, four-way. Despite four-ways being embedded in the rich history of AEW. Yes. Tony Storm's presence in it is kind of key. Yes. Like, and that's a testament to the character. Because, again, these these characters in the women's division, when they get over, and I would maybe even include Britt Baker in this in 2020, you realise that the characters that get over still do it with very little story. It's about themselves. And then they kind of bounce it into the class with wrestlers. Britt Baker in 2020. Like, because it was just, right, this is hot as balls. She's hilarious. Let's get her on the show. Yeah. At all times. When, remember, I think it was an Abaddon match on Dynamite, and they did this gimmick in dailies where Britt, I think she was doing the wheelchair gimmick, Mm -hmm. and she had this, like, apparatus with which she sent post-it notes to Tony Schiavone. Oh, yeah. And I don't know why she wasn't on commentary, probably just (laughs) because the bit was funny. It was like, right, wrote something down on a post-it note and sent it to Tony Schiavone, and it was a post-it note about Abaddon. It was like, this broad needs to find Jesus ASAP. (laughs) Oh, God. The characters get over it, even when they're not given the story. So it's like, well, how much can you do? Like, it's a bit like that um, old sales cliche, isn't it? Like, sell me this pen, sell me this bottle, whatever. And it's like the thing they've got to sell is themselves yeah. and hope that they crash into a character that helps them flesh the character out. Yeah. And I think the four-way next week, you're going to see a bit of that. Yeah. Next up, we get an overdue development and a victory lap from Michael Hamflet because Hamman Page comes out. Oh, yeah. Tony Schiavone um, congratulates him for uh, winning the um, over-budget Battle Royal at All Out winning for the Chicago Education Fund in the process, $50,000. And Hamman uh, Page basically says, look, I want to tell you about my plans for the remainder of 2023. This summons Swerve Strickland and, with wonderful dance moves, Prince Nana. He's <laughs> yeah. just absolute bants. I love him. Um, Page, I should put over his promo, is teachers are underfunded, underpaid, Solidarity with them, they're great and do yeah. great work. And based on some of the discourse I had with some of the Chicago fans, like ahead of all in, there is clear problems in that educational system, and I support pounds <laughs> support, of investment. I think Hatman Page needs to do this for the Yanks. <laughs> other than the ones, other than the ones who listen yeah. to the podcast and follow us on Twitter, just the one that target us as Brits with the capital B, them ones need this fifty grand. Basically, the ones who uh, will give Matt Hardy's Rampage matches. <laughs> Four and a half stars. Get get in the friggin' bin. Get out of my reply. Well, last shoot love Chicago. It's maybe one of my favorite cities in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Prince Nana says, Shivani, I suppose just says, get out of here. Um, and a funny line he says, being in coffin for two weeks to get some perspective. I would describe this as a uh, promo of two halves. Because Swerve is not exactly, I think he's just not as composed as usual. He stumbles over a few lines, and I think when you get this spot, 
when you are telling the story of I deserve your spot, Hangman Page, this company should be built around me as it was built around you and you have wasted it, you've mm. squandered it, you have to do a 10 out of 10 promo. I would describe this as a 6 that got to an 8 at the end. Um, when he eventually gets his composure, starts to be really clear uh, with his enunciation, and he says, you've got two choices. Either just leave on your horse and ride into the sunset or come face to face with me and I will dog walk you. And I have no empathy for no man. It's like, that is the chilling, sinister swerve who I buy is this horrible bloke talking to Hangman Page. And he's basically challenging him. I don't want to just beat you, Hangman. If I'm going to take your spot, I'm a man of honor. I, I want the best version of you. And looking right now, pokes him in the tummy. Holy God. <laughs> Pokes him in the tummy. People who've got hard-ons for 2019, like me and Hamlet, are all chubbed up. Oh, we're all chubbed we're up. We're all chubbed up. And Paige is initially, no, I'm not going to give you the satisfaction, goes out the ring. He's like, no, hang on. No, I am going to be the Page again. I, I want to be Hangman Page again, and I want to be Hangman Page again. So that's the point. Oh, my God. And then it's a trap. Because ha- uh, Brian Cage, with whom um, Hangman Page had a... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And three-quarters match at Double or Nothing 2021. They've set up a uh, third match between the two on Dynamite next week. And, yes, this is, I guess, (laughs) pals have just dropped. (laughs) 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 This is technically gauntlet stuff because he's going through a member of the stable to get to the final boss. But, one, I'll take it on its own terms. Two, we haven't seen that much of it recently, so it feels like a worthwhile thing to do again. When I was talking about um, sub-story feed, the biggest story, and I went to 1998 WWE, how did I not go to Paige Cage in Paige's quest to win the title as, a, as one of AEW's all-time great sub-stories? Yeah. Love that, by the way. All of this. You talk about like they're getting chubbed up for 2019. Every bit of this segment felt like... Sorry about what we've done with Hangman Page, guys. From beginning yeah. to end, from like Hangman Page coming out and this idea that like, what guy, 50 grand to a local charity, wants to help the teachers. He's still, he's still a, the good guy, he's still the virtuous figure that you want to cling on to. Yeah. So you get that. You know the thing about Hangman Page, and that mention about the teachers and them being yeah. underpaid, is that he really cares about workers' rights, unlike some people. Well, this is it. He appears to practice what he preached, doesn't he? Like... <laughs> And uh, <laughs> you, want, you, want, you want a real fight for fifty thousand dollars, mate? What more can you do? A real fight? <laughs> <laughs> Are you shaking your cement at a battle royal like that? <laughs> so love that. Uh, the match from a bucket is such a thigh rubber. AEW doesn't do this enough, so everybody felt it as soon as Swerve came out. Oh my god, they're actually putting two stars together. Jesus Christ! Someone's got to like, win. Yeah, someone has to win. Someone has to lose. Yeah. This matters. This again, the invisible rankings feels like a theme of this show. They might not be there, but they feel like they're there in spirit because Swerve sees Hangman Page as a rankings victory. A victory over Hangman Page is putting him in the title contention, something he feels set back from because he's just lost a coffin match to the Stinger and Darby Allen. Whew, like, that's the excitement. That's the, like, this matters so much. Um, calling him fat ahead of a match that will probably take place at full gear, lest we forget, was set up because Pac used to walk around in his tiny trunks with his 12-pack yeah. while the elite were like... Page, mate, have you seen yourself in the mirror? The elite, no less. Telling Hangman Page, you're a bit fat, pal. Yeah. The full gear challenge was all about Page trying to lose weight. In reality, he's got that Magnum TA yeah. on Anderson board. The guy's a cowboy. Like, 
the idea was like the full gear challenge was that can you look as fit as Pac because you're going to wrestle him at this pay-per-view that we're going to call full gear. So we're right back there again. Just the ability to take enough reality and like I said yesterday, the Battle Royal was too pronounced. What What's he doing in that? That's got to matter. Swerve has used just enough reality to say you have thrown away everything that's been given to you. Your four years have been for nothing. Enough time for me to sweep you aside. If it wasn't going to be me, it was somebody else. It might as well be me. Like, that's the exact amount of reality that you should weave into this. To the extent where I absolutely loved Paige almost noping it because it was just like, he's sick of this with a punker. Aye. He's just... He's just like he's had enough, and like for him to nearly walk away and then grit his teeth and be like, I should I, mention I it's when it's again, like it's when um Swerve brings up his wife and daughter, yeah, that flicks the switch. Yeah, I cannot let another one of these. All that's happened is that people have watched me say nothing while a guy's tried to burn me to the ground. Yeah, I cannot let this I'm happen not again. Doing it again. Yeah, I was in admiration of this for two more reasons other than the ones I've just mentioned. One is that I think there's maybe been a conscious decision from the elite from tony khan you know combination of the two that people really don't like the idea of use going back to work the dark order maybe i'm being naive maybe they'll go john silver and alex reynolds i know i know maybe they'll go back to it maybe i'm being naive but i think a lot of people like i love the elite i've been such a mark for this entire saga then when they revisited the dark order thing and one more for the people in the back. I don't care if it makes sense. You don't have to adhere to bad continuity. You just don't. I think there was a, a maybe a, a recognition of people don't want this anymore out of us. Maybe we should drop the melodrama on its head. Not forever. It's the elite. We'll never do that. But they, they said, oh, the Young Bucks are go- just continuing to go back into tag team action because they've got a match against... Uh, 2.0, which should be really yeah, fun. Yeah. I might actually watch Rampage. <laughs> and then Paige is... Uh, Omega will probably want Retribution for Dekesta or do something else. And Paige has got his own individual ambitions are sort of like burning within him again. And I think that's great because I said at the, you know, the, the threat of the Dark Order continuation that, oh my God, I don't need to see Elite stuff for another year. Mm. And maybe we won't. So I was overjoyed with that. Two, it's so tricky when you are telling the story of failures in booking not to make it into a cell phone. And this is what I love about All Elite Wrestling at the peak of its powers is the thought, the inspiration, just that levels above my analysis. The idea that we're not going to tell you that we've booked Paige badly or we haven't promoted him well enough. We're going to make it make sense in the fiction because yeah. we don't want to portray ourselves as a bad company. So instead, you have a heel, a very cruel one, saying to Paige, you haven't been booked badly because you're not getting booked because this is not a shoot. It's a work. Let's make it a fictional thing. He's basically said you got too comfortable. You suck you've, now. You've, well, you've achieved what you've achieved. You've fallen off. You're resting on your laurels. You don't have that same um, fire inside that you once did. Yeah, eating good, and it shows. They've put the onus on the character and not the booker. Deft. Absolutely deft. Little AW trick that they play sometimes as well. I love the device of... Because they revisit it more often than they don't, and they reward your faith. I love the device of... Wrestler is about to say a thing, but gets inadvertently derailed. What was Hangman Page's plan for the rest of 2023? Because it wasn't Swerve. 
It wasn't Swerve. Something else already exists for Hangman Page's next story. Yeah. I think he'll leave to Swerve, and I think that's going to inform that. But what was he going to tell us before he was interrupted? Yeah. And they do revisit those quite a lot. More often than not. Yeah. More so often like than not. Main event time. Usually I get a sigh of relief because I get hungry, but... I feel like we've flown through this. We've flown through okay. this. I've really enjoyed this Dynamite review. Um, it's Nick Wayne, and it's Darby Allen, and while far from one of the greatest um, AEW Dynamite main events in history, it's nonetheless really, really good, really dramatic, mm. really unpredictable, really well told. Uh, two minor gripes out of the way first. One, I can't hit you with my move. It's a bit much for me in terms of melodrama. I've... One of my catchphrases on this here podcast, on this here podcast, is there's a good and bad version of everything. I can tolerate everything as long as it's done well. I've got wide-ranging tastes. Um, the melodrama here was a little bit much. Um, he can't possibly hit the coffin drop. At least he changes his mind at the finish and realizes, oh, hang on, why would I do that? Mm. Like, my spot's on the line here. But I didn't like the fact that he even intimated doing it. And he grabs a microphone mid-match and monologues. And said, basically the story is, to make sense of that, general gist of the story is that they have this lung-bursting exchange early on, like really smooth, liquid wrestling, frantically paced. And then, after which Nick Wayne is shoved to the outside, Darby decides to do his low pay. Nick Wayne steps out of the way. Darby Allen, even by his standards, takes this terrifying header where I thought, all right, okay. Imagine Titus O'Neil at the greatest Royal Rumble except doing it at 100 miles per hour we have... and hitting almost his head on it. It looked terrifying. The Wesley finished the other week. This is the new Canadian Destroyer. Yes. The have found a new way to kill themselves yes. for a hot finish. Yes. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> so he does this. And the idea that, and the idea then is that Nick Wayne is like, ah, that makes my job easier and harder at the same time because, like, he's my mentor, he's my hero, he was there for me when my dad died. There's any time he can kind of take this inner conflict. I don't want to hurt my combat athlete opponent Mm. stuff. Like mileage varies on it all over the place. There's one time it really makes sense, I guess, with the characters. It's this time, so I've got a problem really with that. So Wayne tries to wrestle him when he could just finish him. And Darby feels patronized by this. So that, this is when he grabs the microphone and says, hit me harder, hit me harder. Yeah, you're pissing me off. You've been patronizing. Like, just hit his. And then Nick Wayne drills him with a yeah. super kick right in the chin. It's awesome. And then Darby Allen has a change of heart, which is, it doesn't make sense, really. Why would it make sense that he wants Nick Wayne to hit him? but then he won't hit Nick Wayne back. Is it not like a justifiable violence thing? Like the more the less, the more Nick Wayne patronises him, the less he feels like, well, I'm going to have to do what I'm going to have to do here. And then Nick Wayne brings that dog out of him and he's like, this is what I want. I would rather we go 100 miles an hour at each other than either of us hold I back. can't remember the order, to be honest. Either way, there's still a bit of melodrama that worked and was justified and then uh, it was a bit broadly acted, I guess, at various points. And there's a hurricane runner to the floor spot. It's tremendous. And because of the story told and Darby Allen selling is just so great. It's one of those where it's like, I don't really, I don't even know if you are selling or if you yeah. have to sell, but you're doing a great job whether the hand of the author is, you know, involved here. I think he's a, it's weird for a guy that bumps and sells and works the way he does. You know what I think about his black and white tapes and his but his promo he's quite a cheesy he performer. In a while. He's a cheesy performer. 
like he lays his stuff on very thick for a guy uh, that like bumps and works. Like if you think of more of the off the leash promos that he's been given this year and stuff like I like this by the way. For what it's worth, I think all of this gave this match real identity as like a first Darby Allen Nick Wayne chapter. For me, it was like I'll remember this for that. I was like, oh, this was the match where like they were really sure of each other's levels, and then I think it'll be like part one of this is where the worm has turned one of a hundred between and you can them. You know, spin like, off yeah. into a believable grudge, but he does have that kind of like ability to go a bit a level in his performance, like uh, of this bit of it. I like, never not believe his selling though. No, not his selling. I mean, like when he talks, all oh, right, he has yeah, to act yeah, a little bit. I think he's, he's oh, okay. shown it, but like that side of his stuff is quite cheap. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can get which on board. Is in with that. stark contrast to the way he wrestles. Yeah, you know? so we we'll get to the point in the match where Darby's selling so convincingly, and he looks so battered because he probably is. Yeah, that Nick Wayne starts to really think. I think I'm thinking genuinely. Oh, he's going to win here. He's going to win, and that's the story. Um, Darby's. Taken one risk too many, and Nick Wayne's capitalized, and that might annoy Darby and think, could there be a heel turn? And, you know, all the, you know, directions this could take. But then Darby realizes, oh, no, I do. I, I need to kill him, actually. I need to kill him. And I love this finish so much. Not just the execution in and of itself, but the ramifications on Nick Wayne's character arc. So I don't even know what the submission is. He basically gets Nick Wayne's arms, mm-hmm. like, pin, like butterflies him almost. Yeah. But Nick Wayne's in a seated position. And with his free leg, Darby kicks him repeatedly in the crown of the head. And Wayne just gives up because it's it's cruel. And that is the key word for this finish and how it relates to what Nick Wayne's character is going to do from here. It's so cruel. And Nick Wayne has only ever experienced cruelty so far in AEW. He has... Lost his first match. That's a cruel blow to his hopes and dreams. He has been half killed by Swerve Strickland and AR Fox in Cruel Barely Does It Justice. That beat down at his father's his academy and his dad's <laughs> yeah. ring. He Christian Cage shows nothing but cruelty to him by, you know, reveling in the fact that his dad's dead and that he wants to shag his mother. And you think, oh, I can always rely on Darby. Darby's looking out for us. It's not going that badly for me in AEW. And everything will be okay because Darby is looking out for me. So to have Darby beat him so cruelly here is expert, I think. it's This is AEW, goddammit. This is AEW because now Nick Wayne has got a right to either turn heel or at least turn on Darby or maybe get drawn in by Christian Cage and say, hey, at least I'm upfront about what I want to do and all the rest of it. Like, this is the kind of stuff, this is the kind of finish that will allow us to talk for 10 minutes on a preview mm. with, like, interest, with fascination, with fantasy booking. How it's does it feel? It, yeah, it's a kind of stuff that makes you want to invest and watch this character. You've made Great me, stuff. You made me think it's going to be, like, like cruelty. There's, like, more cruelty. You're going to have to eat a bit more before you learn to like the taste of it. Yeah. You make me think he's going to be on uh, Callus's Payton. The catcher's just like, you know what I hate? He's like, dumb kids like Nick Wayne who think they can just get a leg up with friends. If there's one thing I know is that there's no such thing as nepotism in pro wrestling. Yes. You don't get jobs through your friends and uh, Takesh just going to cave your head in, you stupid little bitch. And like, Do that. Like that, you know, and it's and it's Nick Wayne's head on a spike. What, why? He's 18. <laughs> what are you doing? He's 18. He's gone through a lot in <laughs> his like, real life and... Within, what, four weeks, five weeks like of Neville AEW. Neville Southall and Michael Owen. Nice one, Donnie's 18. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like more... More cruelty that has to come his way, whatever it might be. Yeah, the finish was just great, wasn't it? Um, the idea, this is what I mean, like the idea that they're, I can't like cough and drop, can I? Like, 
five minutes later, yeah. kicking him half to death. Yeah. That's great in intramatch character development. Derby has a like a thirst for the title, even though it's not really his tournament to win. And they're kind of like it's Derby Allen, so you always can, but they've just been able to pass on the Orange Cassidy. They're gonna die out there thing to Darby Allen yeah. for the benefit of this tournament, for the benefit of the loss. He's in the Roderick Strong side, is he? Yes. So he's gonna get bent in two by yeah. that. You know, like it's it's there to see. Um loved it. Like honestly, like I thought this was a perfect first chapter of a thing we're gonna see what, like five times in the next five years minimum. Yeah. Like you wanna remember I use Card- Cody and Derby as the blueprint for their AW's legacy booking, and you want to remember each match individually for what it brought and how they progressed it. And I'll remember this one as the like, yeah, you're probably right. Like the microphones a bit like laying it on, like they're laying the story in a bit thick. But it's for thickos like me that want to remember what was the theme of the first match before they really became proper. Oh yeah, they told me out loud. Yeah, yeah, they said it out loud. Now I remember <laughs> he was his mentor, and like over time, that's obviously going to develop. Not the subtlest, but like they earned it by the finish. You are going to remember virtually every single match, or at least two of the matches on this Dynamite, on this specific Dynamite, more than you'll ever remember 90% of Raw's output. Yeah, plant seeds that sprout rather than just having matches. Just to circle back to the conversation we were having earlier this week, or last week. Fed's better, but I get your point. You're not wrong on this specific episode of Dynamite. WWE's Fed's cooking so much right now. No, AW's, so many different AW at its worst is better than WWE at its best. Smells coming out the Fed's kitchen are just divine right now. But like things can change. AW like, at its worst remains better than WWE at its best as a storytelling promotion that you actually remember. Um, let us know what your thoughts my... on that hot take are on X under the link to this podcast at WhatCultureWWE. Whilst you're there, if you want, you can also follow <laughs> Michael Hamflet at... That take's not as hot as the food being cooked in the Fed kitchen. But you can follow me at Michael Hamflet. This Dynamite is better than WWE, though. This, this AW is better than WWE. This one is. Thank you very much. Yeah. You can follow me at M. Sidgwick. Again, you can follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. Don't forget to um, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts from. Um, we'll have some preview content dropping in your feeds tomorrow, so... Keep your ears open for that. (laughs) And until then, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, we will see you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.